0: On August 14th, 2003, the Northeastern and Midwestern USA, as well as most of the province of Ontario, experienced what has become known as the Northeast Blackout of 2003. Most people got their power back within a day or two, but for some, it took as much as two weeks Now, the primary cause of the world's second-largest blackout was a software bug in the alarm system at the control room of First Energy in Akron, Ohio. And it set off a domino effect causing energy collapse that affected and left 55 million people in the dark. Now, despite the obvious inconveniences of not having electricity, the impact that it had on people and society and culture at that time, there were some benefits that came during the blackout. One of the benefits that many people commented on more than anything was the reduction of light pollution, which allowed people in the cities to see stars like they'd never seen seen them before. Here's a picture that was taken at that time where you can see what life was normally like in that area and what life was like, was like when they were running their generators and, and waiting for the power to come back after the blackout was over. If it weren't for the darkness, they would never had experienced the beautiful sight and the light Of the stars that filled the skies. Martin Luther King Jr. once uh, said, Only in the dark can you see the stars. Of course, speaking metaphorically, he had learned that it was the darkest moments of life that illuminated good. Today is Easter Sunday. And Easter reminds us That despite the darkness, despite the hopelessness, the loss, the heartache that we experience during life's most painful moments, there is always hope when we put our trust in the promises of God. Today, for a few moments, we're going to be tracing the journey of Mary Magdalene through the events of that first Easter weekend. The ministry of Jesus primarily centered or took place around the fishing villages along the coast of the Sea of Galilee near the area called Capernaum. And there was a thriving fishing town there known as Magdala. And as you read scripture, because there were a number of Mary's, that were associated with the life and ministry of Jesus, Mary Magdalene is identified by her hometown. And so she's Mary from Magdala, or as we read about her, she's Mary Magdalene. Now, despite many people identifying her as the sinful woman, the prostitute that anointed the feet of Jesus, There's really no evidence in Scripture to support this view. She's referenced more than a dozen times through the Gospels, and not once is there a reference to her as having an immoral former life. We do know that Jesus delivered her from seven demons. We do know that she traveled with Jesus, his disciples, and other women all throughout Jesus' public ministry. She's first mentioned in Luke chapter 8, and she's last mentioned in the Gospels, where we read this morning in John chapter 20. When she's introduced in Luke chapter 8, we're told that she's part of a group of people who financially supported Jesus' ministry out of her own personal, private means. And so likely, she's an individually wealthy Uh, person uh, in comparison to many of those who were followers of Jesus. Church history records her as a disciple of Jesus and a leader in the early church movement. In fact, in many circles, she's known as an apostle to the apostles. What we will be reminded of today is that her unwavering devotion to Jesus through the most difficult experience of her life resulted in her finding hope on that first resurrection morning. Our scripture for today was read earlier in the service, so you can follow along if you have your Bible or have an app, John chapter 20. We're going to look at verses, uh, starting at verses 1 to 16. We're going to start at the cross. It's Friday afternoon. Golgotha's hill, meaning the place of the skull. Three crosses are erected on the hill. Jesus hangs on the center cross. A thief hanging on either side of him. He's been beaten, bruised, tormented, mocked, whipped over a period of hours. And now he hangs on a cross. Nails through his hands and feet. A crown of thorns that's been wedged into this flesh on his head. And the crowd has gathered at the foot of the cross. The thoughts, opinions, and emotions of the crowd are varied. Many of the Jews, the religious leaders, are rejoicing. In their opinion, Jesus was a blasphemer, a a troublemaker, a threat to their spiritual comfort levels. A challenge to their conscience. They're mocking him. You have the soldiers. Likely just another crucifixion for most of them. Another day at work, another criminal to be punished, desensitized by the violence, the gore, the suffering that they see time and time again because they've done this so many times before. And then there are the followers of Jesus. Now, if you read closely, you'll notice that none of the gospel writers record the presence of what we might call the primary 11 disciples. Of course, Judas has already died at this point. None of the gospel writers record the presence of the primary 11 at the crucifixion. With the exception of John, who records that Jesus spoke from the cross regarding his mother Mary. To the disciple whom Jesus loved. We assume that's John since he's writing it. And he just wants everyone to know that. Jesus addressed to him about his mother from the cross. We're told resulted in him taking her into his home and caring for her. If they were present, any of the primary 11. Likely standing at a distance out of sight because of fear. However, we are told in John chapter 19 that there are a small group of women who are standing near the cross and named among them is Mary Magdalene. She's heartbroken. He was her friend. He was her teacher. He taught her about the kingdom of God. He taught her a new way to live. He set her free spiritually and and changed her life. This was a great moment of pain and and confusion for her. The Jews had longed for a Messiah to come and bring change, and he was the key to their future, and she believed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, and she would have drawn conclusions in her mind as the other Jews would have as to how this would play out in the end, and here it is playing out very different. Now the future is hopeless, it's without Jesus, there's no hope. Her hopes, her dreams, and the hopes and dreams of our people are stripped away in this moment as he's dying on the cross. Of course, on top of that, you can't remove the personal element here because she personally cares about him and she's watching someone she loves grossly mistreated before her very eyes and there's nothing she can do about it. The most important person in her life has been taken and she is standing there staring at an uncertain future at the foot of the cross, experiencing hopelessness. Then we move to the tomb. This was an unusual case of crucifixion. Jesus died sooner than most people die in the process of crucifixion. It's usually much more drawn out. Likely because he had suffered so much prior to the cross. Usually soldiers would break the legs of the person to speed up the death, but not necessary this time. Usually the body would be left, on display on the cross as a reminder to everyone who passed by that this is the consequences of crime. And this is the evidence of the power of the Roman empire. And so people walking by would see these individuals hanging on the cross and would be reminded to stay in their place to be true to the Roman empire. But permission was given to remove the body of Jesus The Sabbath was fast approaching. It will be dark soon. And so in comes this character, Joseph of Arimathea, who we're told was secretly a disciple of Jesus because he was afraid of the Jews. And he's accompanied by someone named Nicodemus that we see earlier in John's gospel. And we're told that they took the body of Jesus down from the cross and they hastily prepared it for burial and placed it in Joseph's tomb, Located in a private garden, not in a regular cemetery. From the time of the hasty burial on Friday until the sunrise on Sunday morning, Mary spent the time waiting, observing the Sabbath, helpless to give Jesus the normal preparation for burial. I'm sure that the time in between seem long, no different than us. When we're, when we're watching the time and we're ante- anticipating a moment, time seems to drag on. There's nothing to do in this in between time, but mourn and reflect and process what has transpired and the implications of it. It likely felt to her like this was lost time. Nothing was happening. Everything had just Stopped. But then early Sunday morning, before daylight, Mary went to the tomb with aloes and myrrh to properly prepare the body of Jesus for final and proper burial. It was a different day than Friday. He was gone. There's nothing more that she could do other than honor him with a proper burial. Life would go on. She would have to accept his death regardless of the pain that, that she would, would, would go through. She was going to do the respectable thing. Upon arriving at the tomb, she saw that the stone had been rolled away. Immediately she ran to Peter and John and told them what she had seen at the tomb. And We find out that Peter wasn't the fastest runner amongst the disciples as they immediately ran to the tomb. They saw that the stone had been rolled away. They saw that the grave clothes were there, that the face napkin that covered his face was neatly folded and laid aside. But Jesus is gone. Now, obviously, the way the grave clothes have been left is clearly a sign that God is at work. Something is happening here. If someone had moved or stolen the body of Jesus, they wouldn't take time to unwrap his body and and fold it up and, and, and put it wrapped neatly and folded there on the stone. But despite the evidence that something significant had happened, they just returned to their homes. Men. Men are so thick. But Mary Magdalene who had returned back to the tomb with them, looked inside. And she saw two angels and further evidence that God was doing something significant. The clothes are folded neatly. There are angels sitting there. And she said to them, where have you put Jesus' body? Truth be told, the disciples Mary, they should have been expecting the resurrection. He talked about it with them. But she's so caught up in the hopelessness of what's transpired. She saw him die with her own eyes. She's so caught up in honoring him by doing the respectable thing of a proper burial that she's not focusing on the words that he said. The miraculous moving of the stone, it didn't register with her. The grave clothes, undisturbed, didn't tweak any memories of his words that he had spoken previously. The presence of angels didn't even get through to her. She was spending that first Easter at the tomb. Acceptance. Caught up in doing the respectable thing, but missing the truth of what's really happening here. And then our final stop, in the garden. As Mary turned to leave the tomb area, she saw a man standing in front of her. Jesus is standing right in front of her, but like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, she doesn't recognize him. And he spoke to her and he said, why are you crying? But she didn't recognize his voice. We're told that she thought he was the gardener, the individual that would have been responsible for caring for this private garden that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. And she said to him, they, those famous people, they have taken the body of my Lord away. And she said, I don't know where they've taken him. She's hoping that this man who's standing in front of her would know who came, who moved the stone, who unwrapped him, who took him, who put him somewhere else. She needs to know where he is so she can finish what she came to do. But then something truly miraculous happened. Jesus spoke to her again. But this time he only says one word her name. And he says, Mary. And instantly, something changed. Instantly, hope welled up in her. Instantly, her dreams are being restored instantly this grief and this burden that she's carried is is lifted off of her because he's standing here it's him and he, he is who he said he was he's kept his promise and he's alive and in that moment the hopelessness of friday is fading and her task of doing the respectable thing of pretending to be okay that's no longer needed because he's alive Now, as I reflected on this passage, and I've reflected on this passage many times in the hundred years of my life, but I've never seen the connection before. As I read John 20, I was taken back to John 10. Jesus is speaking in John 10, and this is what he says I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. I know my sheep by name. My sheep know my voice and they respond to my voice. And all of a sudden Jesus teaching in John 10 is now being lived out in John 20 and respond to his voice She did as she fell at his feet and cried out and and said, teacher, what died on the cross, what was stolen at the tomb is now restored to her in the garden. On this Easter Sunday morning, I'd like to consider three things from the life of Mary Magdalene for us from that first Easter morning. The first is hopelessness. All of us who are gathered here this morning are going to experience moments of hopelessness in our lives. And perhaps you are here in this place this morning and you are spending this Easter in hopelessness. Life has not unfolded for you as you want it. It wasn't what you expected. And the result is for you, your dreams have been shattered. Your heart is broken and you're confused. You can't even make sense of it all. You don't understand. And perhaps for you this morning, your cross of hopelessness was standing by the grave of a loved one that was taken far too soon. And the pain of that is sometimes almost too much to bear. Some of you are standing at the cross of hopelessness because of relationships. Maybe you're going through or you've gone through divorce or or marriage difficulties. Maybe you've had to come to grips with unfaithfulness in your relationship. Perhaps you're you're estranged from family members in this Easter season. Maybe there's challenges when it comes to your children and you, you don't know how much more you can take. Maybe you're facing an uncertain future as you sit here this morning. Financial difficulty, job concerns. Perhaps you're sitting here and the words of of a doctor's report just keep echoing through your mind and you keep hearing words like terminal and cancer and tumor and success rate and time frame. Maybe you've been hurt by others that you trusted and there's pain and unforgiveness that you're wrestling with. You're here on this Easter standing at the foot of the cross of hopelessness and your life feels like it's racing out of control and your dreams have been stripped away and life is not playing out at all like you envisioned it would. And in some way, you can identify with this woman from 2,000 years ago who stood on that Easter weekend at the cross of hopelessness. Acceptance. Like Mary, perhaps you're spending this Easter in in the time in between the great loss, the event, the pain of your life, and hope. Maybe this season for you feels like wasted time. It's a season to wish away, to, to hope it passes quickly. Let's, let's get this out of the way and get on to something better because certainly nothing is being accomplished in the time in between. Your fears, your hopelessness, your circumstances, you, you're wrestling with those and you come to the conclusion that there's nothing to do other than to accept the reality of your life. You lack the power. You lack the ability to change your circumstances. So, you know, you're moving on. This is life. This is the lot that I've been dealt. I'm moving on. And I want you to know this morning, there's nothing wrong with moving on. In in times, some of us get so stuck where we are. We really do. We need to move on for our own benefit. There's nothing wrong with moving on. There's nothing wrong with accepting the reality of our circumstances. That's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with making the most of the painful reality of your life. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong in looking to God and to bring the best out of a painful situation. Show me the stars, God, in the midst of the darkness. There's nothing wrong with that. Unless, of course, you've not honestly dealt with your circumstances. That you've chosen to bury your pain, your hurt, your disappointment, your unforgiveness. Perhaps you decided to square your shoulders, to be mature and strong, to pretend you're okay when you're not. You're resolved to do the respectable thing. Wear a mask, move on before you wear everybody else out. I want to remind us this morning that Jesus never said, dig deep and you'll find the strength within yourself to carry on. No, he said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're sometimes content to carry our burdens alone when God desires to bear them and help us and carry them for us. Pretending we're okay when we're not okay is a problem, is a problem. Another problem is being so preoccupied with life circumstances that we fail to remember the promises of God. There are things that God has promised to do in us and for us, and we sometimes miss them because we choose instead to focus on the problem. And Easter reminds us that some of the greatest work is accomplished in the time between when nothing seems to be happening. For us, as we read the Easter story, Saturday seems quiet and uneventful. Let me tell you, it was anything but. When nothing seems to be happening. And then we're reminded that Jesus is alive. He has risen. He's conquered death and he can conquer the pain and the failure and the circumstances in our lives. Folks, there's evidence all around us every day that God is working on our behalf, that God is working in our lives when we we think God has forgotten us. But sometimes we fail to see all the signs like Mary did and the disciples did because we're so caught up and so focused on other things, on the problem, on what we think is the reality that we're missing what God is doing in the in-between. I want to remind us this morning that we serve a powerful, mighty, authoritative God, yet we often choose to settle for acceptance. Thirdly and finally, hope. If Easter is about anything, it's about hope with a small side of mini eggs, but mostly about hope. This place, right here, right now, can be our garden of hope. Because he's come to you. Many of you got up and you just thought, you know what? I'm going to church today. Maybe you don't normally come to church or not that often, but it's Easter. So, you know, I want to, I want to go because it's Easter and that's great. We're glad you came and, and we hope it's not another whole year before we see you because your being here really matters to us. But maybe you thought, well, today I'm coming to them, but no, I want you to know that's not true. He has come to you. He's come to you this morning. He's calling your name. He wants to minister specifically to you. He knows you. He loves you. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you a future. A future of trusting in him. A future where he heals your hurts and loves you unconditionally. And guides the path of your life. And perhaps, like Martha, the signs are all around your life that God is doing something spectacular, but you can't even see it. You think it's you or, or others, but God is working and, and you can't see it. But He is, He's He's in there and He's working. This is not downtime. And if you listen closely, you listen closely, you'll hear him call your name. And when he calls your name, everything changes. Everything changes when your name rolls off his lips. I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it. Blame it on the anointing. I was recently in Cuba. And I met this young girl. And she was dating the pastor's son. And she had tattoos. And Cuba really is very legalistic when it comes to faith. The people that we work with. Maybe that's why I relate to them. Because I remember what it was like for me. And so I can... I can understand them a little better. And someone in our group mentioned her tattoos, not out of criticism, but out of interest. And she was ashamed. And she began to explain that she had a season where she walked away from God. And it was in that season that she got the tattoos. And now she's back, but the tattoos were permanent. And so two things happened that made her feel better. Carlene showed her her (laughs) tattoos. I just outed you. And I said, isn't that great do you know that God also has tattoos? And she said, what? I don't think she's ever heard that sermon. (laughs) I said, yeah. In the Old Testament, it says, because her tattoo was the name of her sister on her hands. And she put it there because she loved her sister. And I said, that's great because I said, God has tattoos too. I said, the Bible tells me that my name is tattooed in permanent ink on his hands. So I said, both you and God have tattoos. And your name is on his hands because it's reflective of what you understand in putting your sister's name there. Her name is on your hands because you love her. And your name is on his hands because he loves you. Your name is important. And if you listen, you'll hear him call your name. And it's a game changer. It changes everything. Because when he calls your name, your hopelessness begins to fade. When he calls your name, your efforts to hide what you really feel Begins to lose its significance. And something starts to happen. Deep, deep within your soul. Called hope. And it starts to rise. I want you to know this morning. Your circumstances do not have to change. In order for you to find hope. Just your focus. Just your focus. Away from the losses and the write offs and the pain and the circumstances, and fix solely on the one who is faithful, who loves you unconditionally. Let me admit something to you this morning. The church pretends to love you unconditionally, but we really don't. We're, we try, we're doing our best, but we fail miserably. But we worship one who gets it right every time. Every time. So don't look at us to wonder if what I'm saying is true. Listen to your name as he calls us. The risen Christ is here today. Calling your name. Longing to restore your life. Tyler and worship team, would you make your way back? Easter reminds us that despite the darkness, the hopelessness, the loss, the heartache that we experience during life's most painful moments, there's always hope when we put our trust in the promises of God. And as I see it, we have a choice, me, you, all of us today. We can spend Easter at the cross, wallowing in hopelessness. We we can stay there. Some of us have built a home there. We're comfortable there. You can spend your life at a tomb of acceptance. Pretending you're okay when you're not. Or you can step into the garden of hope and restoration and find one who calls your name and changes everything. Changes everything. I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to invite our prayer team to make their way to the front. Because what we would like to do before we close this morning, and we're not done yet, just so you know, is that if you're here and you would like someone to pray for you, pray with you, encourage you, whatever it is that's happening in your life today, we're, we're available to do that. There's no pressure. You don't have to do it but it's available if you'd like it. And as Tyler and the worship team lead us, I just pray that you would reflect today on what the spirit of God may be impressing on your heart because as much as I spoke a lot of words, some of you heard some things and some of you heard other things because it related to you. And whatever that is that God by his spirit is touching your heart with today, Would you let him have wide open access to that in your life? And if you want to be prayed with, prayed for, we just want to be able to be here to do that with you. So we're just going to step here. And if you want to come do that in a few moments, we'll formally dismiss the service. But for now, we're going to take some time. You know, if I were sharing my story And I know I share my story all the time, but if I was sharing my story and I was to say to you who was of all the people, and there've been many in my life that have been influential that have helped shape who I am and who I become and anything that I've accomplished, the investment from so many people has been significant. But if I was to say who stands out to me as the most influential person as I was growing up, it would have been my dad. And so Easter is more significant for me in this regard. It was on an Easter Sunday morning that my dad, who was sitting in the back of the church, because that's what you did back then. Now all the saints sit in the back, but back then the sinner sat in the back. And when the pastor gave an opportunity for people to give their lives to Jesus, He took that long walk from the back of that church and knelt at an altar and his decision not only changed his life but it changed mine and others through my life and so as we conclude this service this morning I don't know where you stand in your relationship with God but I do know that when we submit our lives to him and we We ask him to be the Lord and savior of our lives. It not only radically changes us, but the spillover of that into the lives of those around us, whether they're our children or our friends or our spouses is immeasurable, is immeasurable. And as I pray this concluding prayer this morning, I would encourage you that if that's the desire of your heart, to say, Jesus, I've done this on my own. I need you. Would you pray that in your own prayer this morning? Father, I thank you for all that this week has represented. That Jesus, the King, died on the cross, rose from the grave, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he and he alone is Lord Lord. As we conclude this Easter Sunday service in our own hearts, we join with all of those who will confess him as Lord, as our Lord this morning, our savior. And so, Father, I pray for those who are struggling, who are hurting, who need you in their lives and have maybe tried to do it on their own and left you out. I pray that on this day, they would open their hearts and allow you to come and be who you want to be in their lives. May they find the ultimate of hope this morning in you. Lord, as we leave this place, some of us will be with family or friends maybe some alone, we know that we won't be alone because you're going to be right there with us. When we can't see you at work, we know you're working. When it looks like nothing's happening, we know lots is happening because by faith, we believe that we can trust you. We can trust you with the most important aspects of our lives. So, Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, that for all of us, Easter hope would reign in our hearts and in our minds and bring us peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.